0: Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father.
1: So on December 17th, 2013, my life changed forever. That morning, Jessica, my now wife, came to my parents' house assuming, thinking that we were going to go on a date. And that morning, she knocked on the door and was met by my grandma, who lives with my parents. And very quickly, she realized that I had lied to her. And my grandma handed her a kind of booklet, handed her a a binder, and then handed her a sheet of paper. And all of a sudden, Jess, who thought she was going on a date started a scavenger hunt. And that scavenger hunt first took her to the place where I got her number. that Durban's Magic Freeze, the best ice cream ever, right? I got her number at Durban's one summer night, and it wasn't until three months later that I ended up texting her because I was scared out of my mind to text her because I liked her so much. After that, the scavenger hunt took her to Silver Creek, which is where our first date ended. We got Angie's, and then we walked around Silver Creek, and I asked her to be my girlfriend officially. Then after that, it took her to her parents' house, where we had our first kiss. And then after that, we went to the Norton campus. It took her to the Norton campus of Grace Church, where I was standing in front of the auditorium on the stage as she walked in the back doors, ready to get on a knee and ask her to marry me. And all of a sudden, our life changed forever inside of that moment. Here's what's interesting. Our life is compiled with stories. Our life is made up of stories. Our life is snapshots of stories that give to a greater story. And inside of that moment of asking Jessica to marry me, we had created snapshots already and snapshots were to come. Here's what's interesting about stories. Stories connect us. Stories can sometimes challenge us. Stories can clarify things for us. Inside of stories, I believe that we find deeper meaning and purpose to our life. We ask big questions inside of the stories that you and I exist in and share to one another. We sit in a season of stories. Do you know that? I think this season, the season of holidays and of Christmas, bring to the surface stories inside of our life. Yes, Christmas stories, the ones you'll watch on TV, the ones we've been watching for a month already with our kids, right? The, The ones you hear inside of songs, the ones you read to your kids at night, whatever it may be. But not just that, you and I, I believe, reflect on our story inside of this season more than any other time in the year. There's something about this season. There's something about stopping and celebrating, something about being around family, something about this season that brings to mind, reflecting upon our story, the good times and the bad. It brings about memories. It brings about snapshots. It brings about thinking who we are and where we have come from. What's interesting is Jesus, the master storyteller, I believe, used stories to connect with us. Jesus knew that stories connected with us and we as humans are built to connect through stories. He used stories to connect with us. Jesus shared stories not for entertainment's sake, but for explaining's sake. Jesus used stories not for entertainment's sake, but to explain reality. And here's what is important today. What you need to know is this. Jesus ultimately used stories to connect our story to the greater story, and that is what he wants us to lean into today as we jump into a very popular story that Jesus shared with us. Today we're starting a conversation that's going to last five weeks, run us into Christmas Eve, called The Prodigal God. It is a series that is based out of Luke 15 and the Prodigal Son story. We're going to be there the entire series looking at that story and what it means for our life. I want to point you to some resources. First is this. This series is inspired by a book by Tim Keller called Prodigal God. It is worthwhile picking up on Amazon. It's like $13. It is the best buy that you will ever make in a book reason, okay? I point anyone who's come to know Jesus or wrestling with Jesus or asking questions about how do I understand Jesus to this book, this is one of the best books that you can grab a hold of and understand the gospel, who Jesus is, what he's done for us. So, Prodigal God, it's called, Tim Keller, it's on Amazon. Secondly, we have another resource that every series we provide it's a series guide. Basically, it's a weekly devotional that aligns with where we're going inside of the conversation or series that we're in. We provide those series guides so that you can grow in knowing who you are in Jesus. And knowing God's story simultaneously, and so those are on the back wall. We'll have volunteers handing those out after the service. I would challenge you to grab one of those because today it's one of the applications. Okay, and so you got an application before any anywhere we went with the Bible story. But that is a great resource for you to jump into today. We're just going to start very introductory inside of the story. It's gonna feel very introductory. It's gonna feel like we just scratched the surface. It's meant to feel that way. In the next several weeks, we're gonna dive into the story of the prodigal son. Here's what I want you to write down This story, the story of the prodigal son, is a snapshot of the gospel. The story of the prodigal son is a snapshot of the gospel. Our hope is this inside of this story is that you would get a picture and perspective of the greater story that is sitting underneath this story, that is sitting as the foundation of this story. And that snapshot being the gospel primarily, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Because here's the reality, stories, stories inside of our life, stories we've been told or stories that we lean lean into about our life or parts of our life, right? The stories that we hear, the stories we tell about our life or are playing out in our life or the stories that other people share, they point us to understanding maybe who we are, why we exist they give us an explanation for meaning and purpose inside of our life. And that's why I think we lean into stories. They're snapshots that give us a picture of the grander story that is going on inside of our life. Because our life is a story And what's interesting is this, my engagement story, the engagement story of me and Jess is a snapshot of a story that's playing out in our life. And it is one of several snapshots that have taken place the last several years. I actually have the original binder that uh, I used to have Jess go around and do the scavenger hunt in. Okay, and I was reading through it because it's in like a box, one of those like keepsake boxes, right? And uh, I looked through it and I was like, wow, this college Joel tried his best at being romantic and trying to get from point A to point B. It's rough at points, but it's cute and it's romantic at other points, okay? And this was a snapshot for us. Right? And as I looked through it, it reminded me of the journey we were on, the journey of what it meant to be young and in love and what it looked like at that part in our story. And then, right, I think about the snapshots being like scrapbooks, but we don't have scrapbooks nowadays. We have photo books, right? And all of a sudden, we have our wedding photo book with all the pictures in it. It's a snapshot of our story, right? It's a snapshot of what happened that day on December 13th, 2014. And ultimately, the trajectory that our story was taking. Then, right, if you got a snapshot of your wedding, you got to get a snapshot of when you have your first child. And so we got these pictures where we're expecting Corbin, the first baby in our family, to come along. And that took place. And we went out and got those pictures. And we got a photo book there. And it's a snapshot. Because ultimately, it's going to be a big deal to our story because it's not just us two anymore We're adding a third one, changes the whole trajectory. Well, if you do that for the first one, you have to do it for the second one because then it's even and she can't complain later on in life, right? So we got one when Ava came, our second one who came just a few years ago, right? All of a sudden, we have a snapshot of not just one, but now we have two, and it's changed the trajectory of our life inside of that. There are snapshots, that act like scrapbooks or photo books, that you and I have that create a collective story for us. Snapshots of your own story or snapshots of how others have impacted your story and stories that have made impact on yours. I want to do this for just 30 seconds, a little class participation. I would love for you just to sit, whether it's writing it down or just mentally going there, What are some of the snapshots of your life? Here's what's interesting. We are not just robots, collecting information and dispensing information. We've been created as humans to live a story. You all have snapshots. And inside of here, we are here for a reason today, collectively, as a part of our story. So I just want to give you 30 seconds. What are some of the big snapshots of your story that I've collected up to this point. Write them down or just sit there in silence and think about where you have been. Right? We all have snapshots. right? For some of us, we're thinking back a lot of years. For others of us, our snapshots have just started inside of this room. There's beauty because each and every one of those snapshots have given to who you are today and have provided some sort of journey for you. Here's the reality. What we find is this Jesus, but I believe just even as humans, We don't see stories just for entertainment's sake, but for explaining's sake, helping us explain who we are, why we're here, what my purpose and meaning is inside of this life. I think that's why inside of our story, we connect to other stories or storytellers. You and I are created to connect to stories, storytellers. As humans, that's the primary form we communicate in, right? How was your day? And if there was something fascinating about your day, you'll tell a story about it. Something that gave weight to your day, gave meaning to your day, right? It's the form that my kids speak in the most. It's stories and jokes. I prefer stories. Their jokes are pretty rough, right? <laughs> stories and jokes. They tell me stories. They come up with stories. They communicate in that form. We connect to stories, right? We have different ways we connect to stories. For some of us, it's a storyteller in our life that has given weight to who we are. For me, it was my grandpa. He told amazing stories about his life, and he would tell us biblical stories, ultimately giving purpose and meaning in a unique way for me growing up. For others of us, we connect inside of the social media realm. I think this is why YouTube and social media has taken such a lift, is it has gone from just entertainment and facts to storytelling. People telling you their story, highlighting stories, giving weight to stories, Sharing stories, coming up with stories. There's things that we connect to very specifically. And when Jesus came to this earth, the creator in flesh, he came as a human being knowing human beings. He came as a human being being the one who created us as humans. He came and he knew that stories connected with us. How do I know he knew? Is because a third of his teachings, a third of his lessons centered around stories called parables. Parables, in short, are just little stories that coincide with big mean, be, meanings. They're little stories that help me understand a big idea or a big uh, kind of way of thinking. Literally, you can translate parable as lay alongside. I'm going to use a story to lay alongside this big idea to bring it to the surface Jesus spent a third of his time teaching through stories, stories that connected with people in the culture and in the moment that he was living in, but also 2,000 years later connect with us in some beautiful and unique ways. And inside of these stories, Jesus would create snapshots for the greater story, the story that is all about his kingdom and the good news of Jesus that came along with that stories that honestly would run up against the status quo of the day. He would share stories about his right-side-up kingdom in an upside-down world. And in Luke 15, this one is one of his most popular. The one that not only in church you may know and have heard of multiple times, but even in our culture, we talk about the prodigal son story. We use that language. You hear people understand that and connect to what, and inside of this story, what we are going to do is we are going to engage with what is Jesus trying to share? What is he trying to tell us? What is he inviting us into through this story? Because today, like I said, it's going to feel very introductory. You're going to leave here and be like, we didn't even do anything. We didn't scratch the surface of the story at all. I don't understand, right? My goal today is this, is asking the question, how does Jesus want us to engage with his stories, in particular, this story in Luke 15? If we don't know how to engage it, we don't know what he's inviting us into, what we will do is we'll read it with just a familiarity that kind of bypasses where he wants us to be. And so we're going to look at what is Jesus trying to do inside of this story, but also gives way to other stories. Luke 15 is where we're going to start in verse 1. Luke 15 Verse 1 and 2 is what we're going to look at. If you have a Bible, you can turn there on your phones. It'll be on the screen the entire time also. Luke 15, 1 through 2. Here's where we're going to start. Luke writes this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Here's what I have you write down. Find me in the story, and I'm talking about you, not myself. Find yourself in the story. I gotta find me. I gotta find where I relate to, what I connect with. Where do I sit? How do I interact with this story? Because I am always somewhere inside of Jesus's stories. He wants you to make it personal. It's not just impersonal information he is trying to communicate. And Jesus is talking to an audience. Do you see that? That's what I love about Luke and the gospel writers: is they don't just pop stories in the play. They give you context. Jesus is writing to a diverse audience. And what's interesting is this. The audience typically flavors the stories Jesus tells. Here's how I would say it. His context, which is the audience inside of this setting, gave weight to his characters because his characters always meant something to the context. His context gave weight to the characters because he knew the characters of the story would connect to the context in unique ways, and Jesus in the setting is surrounded by two very distinct groups, two primary groups that sit on opposite ends of the spectrum in belief, in lifestyle, in action, in even who they hung around. First is on this side, you have tax collectors and what Luke would write as sinners. These were the outcasts of the society. They were the immoral ones. They did whatever they want whenever they wanted to. Tax collectors oftentimes were Jewish people that were working for the Roman government, so other Jewish people hated them. These are the people you don't hang out with. They partied, and you didn't go to that party because you didn't want to be associated with them or you didn't want to be caught with them. Then on the other side, you have the Pharisees and religious leaders. About as far on the other end of the spectrum as you can get. These are the guys that followed the law to the letter. They did everything right They externally had everything going on for them. They were clean. They were following the rules. They were hanging out with the right people. They went and worshiped every Sunday morning, and they were part of a group, and they served on the weekend, and they did all those things. They had everything going for them, religiously and spiritually. These two groups were about as night and day as it gets, and Jesus invites them into a story simultaneously. This is what Tim Keller in his book, Prodigal God, says about these distinct groups. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. It's interesting. Jesus has two groups of people who are sitting there differently. Why? ...with this story, yet each one of them are going to interact differently. Why? Well, here's why. I believe Jesus shared stories that didn't just scratched the surface, but got to the hearts of what was going on inside of the people listening, maybe even inside of the cultural moments. Jesus' stories always pushed against the status quo. His stories got deeper and deeper to get to the root of what was going on. Jesus' stories, I would use this illustration, were not just a mirror, they were an x-ray. They were not just a mirror, but they were an x-ray. Jesus' stories didn't just tell you what was. They told you what was going on deeper and in the heart of it all. A mirror just shows you externally what's going on. A mirror just shows you you're dressed really nicely, your hair's really done, you don't got anything in your teeth. You might feel good externally or you might look good externally, but an x-ray tells you what's going on even deeper. When you get into an x-ray, it shows you how your body is actually doing. And what Jesus did is he went past the mirror effect and he went right to the x-ray with his stories. Because here's the reality, we all know this, you can look good on the outside and not be good on the inside. Jesus knew that. And Jesus' stories went there very quickly because Jesus wanted to make sure that he was getting to the heart of the conversation so why were the sinners and the irreligious, why were they so inviting and, and welcome these conversations? Why would they jump in? Aren't they the ones that would run away? Aren't they the ones that, that honestly would bolt once Jesus came because he's telling them what's going on inside of their hearts? Well, I think if you were a sinner, it was inviting because here's the reality. If you're someone who has maybe been here inside of this, you can relate to the tax collector, the sinner, the outsider, the outcast. The reality is this, the mirror and the x-ray, they look very similar. Maybe you've been in a seat before where you look in the mirror and you're like, I'm nobody, I'm messed up, been there, done that, screwed up. Doesn't take long for someone to call you out to say this, to say that, or maybe you're scared because you're not sure anybody's going to hang out with you anymore because of the lifestyle you've chosen. The reality is this. You're like, I don't need an x-ray. I got a mirror. Everybody sees what's going on. Everybody sees my life's messed up. Everybody sees what's going on inside of it. The x-ray just confirms it. What's interesting about this is Jesus, I think, was inviting to that group of people because, yes, he went to the heart of it, which they already kind of knew what was going on. But secondly, he gave them something better. If you ever go to a doctor, they do an x-ray and say, hey, this is going on, ah, it's not looking good. And then they said, ah, hope all goes well, and they sent you home without doing anything. You'd be pretty depressed. Jesus, he sends them home with something himself. Tells them, if you latch your life onto me, you can have life. You don't have to live this way anymore. So, why was it so offensive to those who were religious, those who were spiritual? It was shocking to them because here's the reality they functioned in a mirror lifestyle. Everything looked good on the outside, and that's the only side that they looked at. So, when Jesus shares these stories and he uses X ray story stuff, but the end, all of a sudden, what gets uncovered is not the external stuff, but the internal stuff. I can relate to this group the most. I grew up as a pastor's kid from day one. Grew up in the church. I ended up becoming a pastor, right? I know what it's like to be in the church. I know what it's like to follow the rules, to live the moral life, to do all the right things, to do this and that. I get it. And it's really easy to have everything going on right on the outside where you get in front of the mirror and you're like, I got the right suit on, I got the right tie on, I got everything looking good, everything's checking the box. And then you look on the inside and it's dead. And that's a scary place to be. It was offensive because Jesus was calling their bluff. Your heart is not matching up with what your life is saying. It is the opposite For a sinner, it was welcoming because he offered something better. For the religious, it was shocking because he went deeper than just the surface. Might have looked good on the outside, but it's not looking good on the inside. So who are the characters? If those are the audiences, who are the characters? And how do we align with them and reflect upon them? I know the story is called the story of the prodigal son, But I don't believe the main character is the prodigal son. I believe the main character is the father. And we're going to look at him in the next few weeks. The secondary characters, I think, equally have weight are the younger and the older brother, the two sons inside of this story. Like I said, Jesus does not tell this story void of context. The two sons, and we're going to see this. I'm not going to get into the weeds of it today. Next week, the week after. The two sons connect with the context, with the audience so deeply. For some, it drew people closer to Jesus. For others, it repulsed them. They pushed away from Jesus because this story hit them at a heart level that they have never interacted with before. But not just with those audiences does this story connect. I believe for all of time, this story connects to each and every one of us. Each and every one of us can connect with one of the two sons at any point in our life. So the question I would say is this, that you need to ask yourself as you read the story, as you process it, is this. Who am I in this story? Who am I in this story? Like I said, Jesus does not share stories for impersonal information. He shares stories for personal reflection. Each and every one of us can find me in the story, and I need to be able to read it with that lens on. So first, find me in the story. Secondly, we go to Luke 15, 11, and 12, where the prodigal son story begins. Before verse 11, we see two other stories. We see the lost sheep and the lost coin. Those two stories have... Great weight to them and connect to the prodigal son. But the prodigal son story is the most famous of them all. This is where Jesus starts in Luke fifteen eleven. Jesus continued after he shared the first two stories. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. That's all the further we're going to get in the story today. So buckle up, right? Here's what I would say about this. Secondly, we gotta find meaning in my story or in the story. We gotta find meaning in the story. Find meaning in the story. Like I said, Jesus' primary goal is not to entertain, but he is trying to draw you into spiritual realities, into realities about your purpose and meaning why you exist, who you are, and what he means to your life. He's trying to draw you in, and in the process, he pushes a of our human nature quo. He's going to push against the status quo of the cultural moment, of our human nature. He's going to throw things upside down, topsy turvy, And inside of this story, we see that Jesus highlights some pretty significant spiritual realities that we're going to look at the next several weeks. As I was studying, I came across a TED Talk by a Pixar screenwriter who was sharing uh, about telling or writing good stories. What are the key components? Because he's written some Uh, Pretty good stories like Toy Story, Finding Nemo, things of that nature. And when he shared, he said there's three distinct things in sharing a good story. He said a good story needs to make me care, make me work, make me wonder. Make me care, make me work, make me wonder. I thought that was interesting. Because each and every one of us, we have stories that hook us. That's why you and I binge watch series and TV shows. It just is. Something hooks us, so we go from watching one to 25 in a night, which I don't even know if it's possible, but some of us have done it. I remember doing it. I was in college. I was in college, and for some reason, I got hooked to Boy Meets Worlds, which I love Boy Boy Meets Worlds fans. Me. Yeah, my people. We'll meet afterwards. We'll powwow a little bit, okay? And I remember I started watching them on what? YouTube. Ain't no streaming services back in the college days for me. I had to watch them on YouTube, probably illegally. I'm not sure who posted them, but I got to see them. And I watched about five or six or eight or ten every night until I got through seven seasons of Boy Meets World. And yes, I cried at the end of the seasons, okay? I cried because I was so connected to them, right? Then later on, first year of marriage, my wife said, we should start watching Gilmore Girls. I said, Gilmore Girls, what's it about? She's about? It's about girls who drink coffee and do life. And I was like, oh, boy. We started watching one. After episode two, I was like, we need to watch episode three now. Like, it needs to happen now. And we got hooked on Gilmore Girls. We watched that through our first year of marriage. You all have it. You all have it, right? It's a series, or it's the Disney Plus series, or it's the Amazon series. There's Netflix, whatever it is, right? We all have something that hooks us. Something that's made us care, that's made us work a little bit, it's made us wonder about. Maybe it's connected in unique ways to our story. It's given weight to our story. Jesus does that. Don't let the familiarity of this story make you lose sight of the intensity and the cleverness of the story Jesus shares with us. My biggest fear in the seat that I sit in, one of my biggest fears in the seat I sit in, Is that stories and the story of Jesus and what we read in the Bible can become all too familiar. I just read it to get it done. When you read it and understand the story, it pops because Jesus does all three of those things. He makes me care. How do I know? He introduces a family. He introduces a family. Jesus knows that one of the most personal, if not the most personal relationships you and I will exist in is through family. And I'll get to this in a moment, but there is tension inside of this family. and If you've ever experienced tension in a family, it can create some conversations around the family. It can create some dynamics around the family. It can create a story inside of your family. Jesus knows family connects because all of us exist in one. Whether it's great or it's poor, Inside of the relationship, it doesn't matter. Make me care. Jesus makes us care from the get-go. We care because we read this and we see there's a son and a father. And the interaction there is off. There's tension building. Well, there must be another son because he references him as a younger son. What's the other son thinking? And all of a sudden, we are hooked in. Because now it's not just some information Jesus is telling us. It's a story that has people involved that we can very easily relate to because you and I have existed in this story some of us as the younger brother some of us as the older brother will find and some of us maybe as the father make me work is the second category he introduces the plots which i love the screenwriter said this what's the idea with make me work he says as a screenwriter he puts 2 plus 2 together but he doesn't tell the audience that it's for. He makes the audience put together that it's for. Jesus does the same thing through the plots. Inside of this plot, inside of this story that he is sharing, these first statements that Jesus would have shared with that audience would have left them dumbfounded. We read this and we're like, inheritance, father, son. Nah. In that culture, they had have been like, what? And maybe slightly offended. They would have flipped a switch. You know why? Because the younger son coming to the father before the father has deceased and saying, I want my inheritance and I want to get out of here, basically means I see you as dead and have no value in the relationship that we have. And the audience would have just lost it. Jesus doesn't say that from the get-go, but he puts two and two together. And then others would have thought, what about the older brother? Because the older brother in that culture, that was a significant title to carry. The older son, the oldest son. What's he feeling like? What's, what is going to happen next? The audience, if Jesus would have, would have paused, would have been like, "Why? come on, tell us what happens next. This is significant. This means something, and I'm connected By working, I get connected even more to the story because I find my connection to the story. Lastly, make me wonder. He introduces a story that puts us on the edge of our seats. Now listen, I beg of you, when I challenge you to read this story throughout the week, read it with fresh eyes. Read it with fresh eyes because my fear is we read this with familiarity and we're not on the edge of our seat like maybe we should be with a story like this. Like, oh yeah, that's the Bible story I read in Power Kids, or that's the story that my kids know, or I tell that story once in a while, or I've been there, done that, I've seen this. Jesus tells us a bonkers story that keeps us on the edge of our seat because at every moment there is something shocking happening. And what is beautiful about this story and what the audience would have thought is that every moment they've been like, that happened and that happens, and what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And then when you get to verse 32, Jesus ends the story at that verse, not resolving all of the conflict and tension. And you're like, come on, Jesus. Why'd you leave me hanging? Because there's still tension and conflict moving forward that you and I have to wrestle with and wonder about. And creates a tension inside of our own story. Because Jesus oftentimes, oftentimes doesn't finish a story in its completion. Because he wants you to wrestle with it and what it means for your story. That Jesus inside of this story, I think, wants us to wrestle with something beyond just the story itself. And when we wrestle with the story, and I'll give you just a spoiler alert. The story ends up being about both sons. The main character is the father. But I'd have you write this down. As you work for it, as you care about it, as you wonder it, as Jesus tells it, what we're going to find is this. Both sons are lost. Both sons, the younger and the older, are lost. And oftentimes we focus on the younger because he literally ran. But what we're going to find is this. Both sons are lost. And that gives great weight to the story inside of our own story. Here's what Tim Keller would say regarding this. Jesus' radical redefinition of what is wrong with us is inside of this story. Nearly everyone defines sin as breaking a list of rules. Jesus, though, shows us that a man who has violated virtually nothing on the list of moral misbehaviors can be every bit as spiritually lost as the most immoral person. Why? Why? Because sin is not just breaking the rules, it is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge, just as each son sought to displace the authority of the Father in his own life. Both sons are lost. It's not a matter of who's more moral and who's more immoral. It's a matter of what seat you are putting yourself in. And what we're going to find over the next several weeks is each and every one of us has done that in one way, shape, or form. And Jesus invites us to wrestle with that. But what's shocking is what the Father does with that. We'll get there. Here's the question I would ask. In regards to reading this story, what is important for me to understand from this story? So where am I in this story? Yes. And then what is important for me to understand? How do I read this and see the weight that comes with it? And and here... Eyes up here. If, if you have followed Jesus for a long time, you are someone who is churched maybe, you grew up in church, you have to work really hard at this. Because you'll just go through what you've learned before. You'll just go through what you've seen before. Or you have resources that tell you what to think inside of it. Let it challenge you in and of itself through reading it freshly. Lastly is this. Find me in the story, find meaning in the story. And then lastly, Luke 15, 32, this is where Jesus ends, okay? So we're going to start with the end, But we had to celebrate and be glad the father is talking here because this brother, he's referencing the younger brother, of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's where Jesus ends the story. Conflict resolved, not quite. Tension resolved, not quite. But lastly, as you read the story, you need to find Jesus in the story. You need to find Jesus in the story. Jesus does not tell us stories for entertainment's sake. He tells us to explain realities, spiritual realities that give us meaning and purpose. But beyond that, each story helps point us to him. Each story helps point us to him. In his stories, he wants us to see him as the end-all, be-all of the story as the one who redeems and rescues, the one who who ultimately gives life, the one who resolves the conflict beyond what the story gets into. Because in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus tells us this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Those two verses feel very similar. He was lost, now he's found. Jesus, inside of his stories, wants you to know that he is the only one who can rescue those who are lost, sinners in need of a savior. Whether you reflect upon and, and uh, see yourself as the younger brother inside the story or whether you see yourself as the older brother, it doesn't matter because all of us are lost in need of a savior that we cannot provide in and of ourselves. And when ultimately you find Jesus in the story, it points you to the beauty of God's greater story, because God's greater story gives weight to Jesus's stories. When we just read Jesus's stories as kind of uh, kind of blanket, we just read them as is. We can sometimes just put moral goodness to it. That was a good idea. It was wise. When you read it in reflection upon God's greater story, you ultimately see the redeeming, gracious storyline of the creator and king God coming down in flesh as Jesus to save us. And that is Jesus's goal with his stories is that we would see that. Here's an illustration I like to use when I explain God's greater story, the story of God this illustration, there's, a, there's probably some more pieces I could put in it, and I'll, I'll speak to that. I believe this illustration gives purpose to the gospel in a way that's greater than just individually. Yes, he came to save us individually. But that ultimately, he is coming to redeem creation as a whole because it has fallen with the curse. Here's where we see it start. In the beginning was God, is God, in the beginning, God existed, always has, always will, and he created everything in the beginning. You and I and life itself, creation is where everything starts, and it was beautiful and it was perfect and it was holy. And inside of the garden, God invited Adam and Eve, the first humans, into relationship and into purpose, He gave them relationship and roles to play out inside of his creation. But in Genesis 3, very quickly, the serpent, Satan himself, the deceiver, kind of uh, slides into the garden and deceives Adam and Eve saying, you can be just like God. You can become like him. You can do what he is doing. You can do that in and of yourself. Eat of this apple. God told you to trust him and not eat of it. They ate of it and the curse, sin, entered into life. And when we see Romans Romans 5 tells us that through Adam, all of us are born as sinners because of that original sin. We see it's not on the page after that in Genesis 12. Abraham is met by God. And Abraham, not to any of his family history, not to anything he's done, is invited to be God's people his family and his family line the israelites are invited to be god's people and god makes a covenant i am be faithful i'm going to love you and he holds to that covenant through the entire old testament story which is profound and beautiful and let me tell you the israelite nation was done messed up there's a lot of times that god could have said forget it and he doesn't then you get to what we celebrate every december christmas there was 400 years of silence and the Jewish people were expectant and they're waiting and they're hoping for a Messiah and Christmas comes in the form of a little baby in a manger named Jesus, who none of them were expecting. King in the flesh, God in a bod, and for 30 years he lives kind of in the background as a carpenter. Then he invites the men and women to follow him, his life, all the way to the cross, where he dies the death that you and I should have died and rose again so that we could have life. That at the cross, the fullness of Jesus seeking and saving the lost, it comes to full. It comes to fruition. It's rescuing us. That he took the judgment and the wrath that we deserved for our sin so that we could experience his life and his mercy and grace. And then it goes into the time of the church which we exist in now where he is still seeking and saving the lost, and he has called the church to be his hands and feet, to be the light of the world, to interact and be around the lost inside of this world so that they can meet Jesus who saves them. The church was not made to be a club of insiders, but to go reach the outsiders. The story plays out there. And then it ends with recreation, where ultimately you see in Revelations, talks about Jesus coming back, bringing us up with him, those who have said yes to him, and making whole what is not, to make a new heaven and a new earth so that we could live in his presence forever and always in eternity. When you and I reflect upon God's story, we ultimately read Jesus' stories differently. God's story tells me that I need rescued because I am in sin and Jesus is the only one who can and has rescued me through the cross and his resurrection, his life, death, and resurrection. And inside of that story, he invites me to say yes to him. This is why we do the At the movie series every August is because there are so many stories that play out exactly like this. That we have come up with, superhero stories, defeat the monster stories, the rags to riches stories, a lot of them have the same storyline as what Jesus has done for us. We as human beings, we connect to stories and we hope inside of stories and we long for stories to fill us and we long for stories to create something inside of us that brings to fullness what we want to experience as human beings. And the only story that does that perfectly and will ever fill us is the story of Jesus because he didn't just come to tell us stories that have good ideas, but he came as the story that laid down his life so that we as people, as human beings, could have life through him and our story would be made whole. Find Jesus in the story. It is the only way that these stories will make you whole, will finish themselves in a beautiful way. Our life's deepest meaning and hope are only found in Jesus, and that's what we need to look for. So, this Christmas, Christmas season, I invite you to lose yourself in the story. Okay? I'm going to challenge you to, to three of different applications, easy, simple things to get started with this week. My challenge to you is this, don't just see this as something that's familiar or that you're used to, put a different lens on, read it differently, open your eyes to it. First is this, my challenge is listen to the story. I invite you this week to read Luke 15, 11 through 32, three times, and not just read it, but listen to it, meditate on it. A great acronym to help you with this, it's SOAP. You start with scripture, reading it, you observe what's going on inside of it, you apply it to your life, find Jesus, find yourself, find meaning, and then you pray it out. Listen to this passage, let it change you, let it challenge you, let it clarify things for you. Don't just go into this Christmas season and just kind of run through the gamut of tradition and the noise and the rush, sit upon what God wants to do. Secondly, this is a stretch goal. So that's my first one is listen to the story. I challenge everybody to that. If you're interested in being stretched this Christmas season, I would lean into a series guide, grab one of those. It will be a little bit more hefty, it'll be something where you dissect the story, you get into other passages, it'll ask you questions, it'll process in different ways. Those are on the back. I challenge you to that. And then my stretch goal two, learn to share your two stretch goal is this. I want you to learn how to share your story. Learn to share your story. Journal your story at some point during this series, during this Christmas series that you are in. Learn how to articulate. Learn where your snapshots are. Learn how to share before Jesus, what Jesus did for me after Jesus. Our story matters, not because of how well you're living your story, but because Jesus transforms your story. Your story is one of the most powerful things you can share when you're sharing who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Let Jesus impact your story this Christmas in a neat way. So as the worship team comes up, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your glory. Thank you for your grace. We Just sit here, kind of in awe and wonder of you, Father, that we get to celebrate you, that we get to celebrate This Christmas, not as a holiday that just sits inside of a random season for us, but ultimately we get to celebrate the fact that you made your way to, to us through Jesus. The Father, you made your way to us in the work and life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and we praise you for that. Thank you for giving us meaning and purpose through that. Thank you that this story and the stories that we're living have meaning. They have significance. They have value. And so, Father, in this room, I pray over the stories that are taking place right now. Some stories, there's burdens to them. There's weight to them right now. Father, would you give a special comfort and grace and rest in you? Some are celebratory and exciting right now. Would you just help people find a joy and and be able to lavish in the love that you have expressed to them Father, I pray for those that maybe the snapshots have been a struggle, have been hard, have been hurtful, painful. Father, would you redeem and rescue? And Father, ultimately through the story of Luke 15, would you help us see you? Would you help us revitalize our faith? maybe for the first time say yes to you or maybe just ask more questions. Father, wherever we're at, would you use this as a compass to guide where you want us to be inside of your grander, greater story? Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for allowing us to spend an hour and 15 just to slow down and stop and be with you. And so, we give you this time, this last song as we sing about the goodness of who you are, the greatness of who you are. Would you just invite us in in this moment? Pray this in your name.